Welcome to the Old Roads Podcast, a podcast that seeks to bring the wisdom of the past to the challenges of the present. I'm your host, Aaron O'Kelly. I'm a pastor and a theological educator. Throughout the history of the church, different issues in theology are pressing at different times, and the church has worked to come to greater clarity on various doctrines of its confession as the centuries have gone by. So in the first four centuries, most of the focus was on who is Jesus, and then that led into the question of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was settled in the 4th century. As you move ahead to the Reformation in the 16th century, the doctrines that came into focus were the doctrines of Scripture and salvation. And those issues were, I believe, clarified greatly at that time and beyond. As you move into the 17th century, from my own Baptist perspective, I think the issue of ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church received a lot greater clarity, especially from the early Baptists who did their work on this particular doctrine. As you look back over the history of the church and ask, where are we today? What is the issue that confronts believers today that requires deepening of an understanding, clarity? Where do we need to solidify our convictions? I would argue it's the doctrine of humanity. What is man? What is the nature of human sexuality, marriage? How does that affect issues in our society today, such as abortion or racial divisions? Or how does artificial intelligence have a place in society? What's the proper place of it, if any? Even the climate movement is a kind of theology that places man in a subordinate role to other elements of the creation. And so the multitude of issues that we face today all seem to revolve around what do we understand man to be? So for the month of February, we're going to be asking some questions related to this particular doctrine, the doctrine of humanity. The question I want to ask today is, what is the image of God? We know that the Bible teaches that man is made in the image of God, but what does that mean exactly? There have been various answers offered throughout history, and I want to go through some of those today, offer some comments on them, and then make a case for what I believe the image of God is. Some have argued that the image of God is something that we have, something that we actually possess as human beings. There have been heretical views of this. For example, Mormonism has argued that we have a physical likeness to God, that God himself was once a man and that he's an embodied being and our bodies reflect something of his body. We have a physical likeness to him. Those views are heretical. We know from the scripture God does not have a body. He's not limited by form and matter. He transcends all those things. And so it's not a physical likeness to God that we possess. There's a more traditional view of this idea of the image of God as something we have by attributing it to one of our faculties, such as reason. Reason is how we reflect God through rational ability or volition, our ability to choose, or even the spirit that is within us, the spirit that survives death and that continues on. Is it something that we have? And if so, there are some difficult questions that arise. If, if you assign it to a particular faculty and say that the image of God is, is, say, our ability to reason or to choose, then would that image be present in infants who do not yet have the ability to reason or choose? Would it be present in the mentally handicapped or in those who have reached advanced age and have now lost the ability to reason? You could see related questions to that coming up if we assign it to a particular thing that we have. Others have argued that the image of God is something that we do, 
some have argued that it is our relationality, that is, that, that we are related to others that makes us the image of God. Some have pointed to Genesis 1.27, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so in creating humanity in relationship as male and female, the argument goes, the image of God is to be found specifically in that relationality. Just as God has relationality within himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so does humanity have relationality of male and female in the original creation or of one human being to another. And that is what constitutes us as the image of God, our relationality toward others. Others would point to Genesis 1.28, which tells us God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the argument would be that the image of God is specifically our dominion over creation. And so this argument, which seems to be more tightly tied to the text of Genesis, also has some difficulties as well. If you actually look again at these two verses that I referenced, you see that it says, God created man in his own image, and the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. What you have there is what's called a chiasm. That is, you have the two things on the outside corresponding to one another, and then the two things on the inside corresponding to one another. So verse 27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. That seems to correspond to have dominion. So there is a link between image of God and dominion. I don't think they're exactly the same thing, but there's a link between them. Then in the middle there, you have male and female, and then you have the command, be fruitful and multiply, which of course requires us to be male and female. So you have this A, B, B, A pattern, which would point us away from the relationality view, more toward the dominion view, as at least getting at more what the text is telling us. But as I said, I don't think dominion fully explains what it means to be in the image of God. I think there is more to say than just dominion. I would argue that the image of God is not something we have, and it is not narrowly defined as something we do. It is what we are. We as human beings are the image of God. And what I mean by that is that we are created to reflect God in some way, to be like him, to know him, and to represent him. So put these two ideas together in your mind. The image of God consists of sonship and kingship. Sonship in relation to God, where we know him and are like him, and then kingship in relation to the creation, where we have dominion over it. In the ancient Near East, kings would set up images of themselves, statues of themselves, to represent their rule over distant jurisdictions. That's the background to what Genesis is referring to when it speaks of humanity as the image of God. Now, we do have the faculties that I mentioned earlier. We have reason, we have volition, we have spirit that is within us, and all of those things seem to be bound up with us being made in the image of God, but we cannot reduce the image of God to any one particular thing that we have. Rather, it is the totality of what we are as those made to know God and to reflect him and to represent him in our rule over the earth. So think of us as representations of God, those who represent his authority over creation because we reflect him in our very being. A related question to this then is, can the image of God be lost? 
In the Roman Catholic understanding, historically, there was a distinction drawn between the image of God in verse 26 and the likeness of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. According to traditional Roman Catholic teaching, the image of God consists of our natural abilities that I mentioned earlier, reason, volition, etc. And then the likeness of God is a supernatural gift of grace that elevates us to seek after God. And that supernatural gift is what was lost in the fall and is then restored through baptism in the Roman Catholic understanding. According to the Protestant teaching, the image of God and the likeness of God cannot be lost. These are really one and the same thing. And I think the text leads us in that direction. When it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, that's speaking of one and the same reality. The image of God is the likeness of God. The parallel uh, verse in Genesis 5 verses 1 and 2 and 3, actually, which speaks of Adam having a son in his own likeness after his image would point us in the direction of seeing those two things as basically identical. In the Protestant view, the image cannot be lost. In Genesis 9, verse 6, which is after the fall, we have a reference to the authorization of the death penalty for the shedding of blood. So if a man sheds the blood of man, his life is to be taken. Why? Because God made man in his own image. Now that applies in a post-fall world. So if you murder another human being, then you have assaulted God by assaulting his very image. And that is why the death penalty is warranted. Or James 3, verse 9 speaks of the impropriety of cursing one who's made in the image of God or the likeness of God. So the image is not something that can be lost. And yet the Bible does speak of it being restored or renewed in us in Christ. There are two particular verses that I have in mind here in the New Testament. One is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, which reads as follows, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In the context, Paul is saying that we have been taught in Christ to put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The parallel to that verse is in Colossians chapter 3, and it's in uh, verse 10, where we read, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so traditionally, putting those two verses together, theologians have argued that the image of God in some sense consists of righteousness, holiness from Ephesians 4.24, and knowledge in Colossians. Colossians 3.10. The original righteousness, holiness, and knowledge that Adam possessed in the garden is restored to us in Christ. So that raises the question, how can we be renewed or restored to the image of God if it's not something that can be lost? And this is where a theological distinction is helpful. Reformed theologians have argued that there is a distinction between the image of God in a broad sense and the image of God in a narrow sense. So in a broad sense, we are the image of God and that cannot be changed. No matter what stage of life you're in or what your, your abilities are, humanity is the image of God. But in a narrow sense, we can speak of the image of God as an ethical reality. It has to do with knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. It has to do with the orientation of our hearts toward God. And that indeed can be lost and was lost in the fall and is restored in Christ. So it is best to say, I believe, that we cannot lose the image of God in the broad sense, but in the narrow sense of being properly ordered in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness that has been lost in Adam and must be restored in Christ. So there's a sense in which the gospel restores us to the image of God in the fullest sense of that word.
But there are implications for us in reflecting on this biblical teaching. One of the main ethical implications is that every human being in some way represents God. The unborn, the handicapped, the elderly, the terminally ill, the poor, the marginalized, every human being represents God, which means that no human being is expendable to society. No human being is one who can simply be discarded or abused or simply eradicated out of a sense of convenience. There are huge implications of this doctrine for many of the ethical questions we face today. And so it's worth reflecting on what we mean by the image of God and why it matters for our lives today. Until next time, remember Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Amen.